Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. Big, big show today. We got the great Michael Folks joining us today. So stand by. We'll bring him in in a few minutes. First of all, let's go over a few things. Let a few more people jump on here. Don't forget the Pacific Coast Sport Fishing Show coming up the 2nd, 3rd, 4th, and 5th of March. Kelly and I will be there. We'll be speaking every day at the show. And if you show up wearing one of my shirts, your saltwater guide shirts, like the one you see in the back or the one you see on me, we're going to be giving you free stuff. We're going to have lots of free stuff to give away to all of you. And we have lots of free stuff from my sister at Danor Sport Fishing for the children. So make sure you bring your kids and I'll see you at the show. In just a few more minutes or a few more seconds, we're going to get going. We're going to bring Michael Folks in. He's got all kinds of cool stuff to talk about. Him and I have been friends for a very, very long time. And uh, I think all of you are going to get a lot out of this show. This is a big, big show for me. I am super stoked to have Michael here with us. So we're going to bring Michael in in just a second here and get going. What do you think? You guys ready? Here he is. Hey, Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me, David. It's a pleasure. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited. I got goosebumps right now. I am <laughs> me too. so excited. This is a big deal, you guys. Michael and I have been friends for a very, very long time. We Our history goes way back. And uh, his show, you had the most incredible show to represent the sport fishing industry in Southern California it went on for so long. I don't know the exact number of episodes, but I know somebody who does. Hey, Michael, <laughs> how long was that show on? Uh, 27 years. Unbelievable. And we did 26 episodes a year. So we were close to a little over 300 and some episodes now playing on Amazon, by the way. So yeah, everything's streaming on Amazon right now live. You got to go check it out over there. It's it's pretty incredible show. But the thing about what I enjoyed the most out of it was it was us. It yeah. was us. It was the industry. You were highlighting the industry and something that you taught me, but I never took it. I always make sure I'm on the film, but you always said, it's about the industry. It's not about you. And you showed the industry, which was unbelievable for me growing up in the industry and then seeing all my heroes on your show. And you made captains like a guy named Todd Manser. You made him famous. No, you made him he was famous in his own right. He wanted, he wanted to make sure that we said hi to him today because he misses you and he loves you. Hello, Captain. Yeah. So, hey, what everybody that's in the industry knows about your show, but what most people don't know is who you are, where you came from. You didn't just jump in front of or behind a camera and start filming. You started out in this industry fishing for a living, right? I, 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 I as, at, at nine years old, I was a pinhead on the Westerner at a Davies locker. So I'd get up in the morning, five in the morning, I'd ride my bike down PCH, cross the bridge, climb on board the boat, and I'd work all uh, half day trips. So we'd do, you know, morning and afternoon and evening trips in the summers. And then I'd, uh, 
that was it. I was hooked for life. So it's. And then didn't you get a, didn't you start working as, as a deckhand in San Diego and then you got a charger boat and all that stuff? I mean, come on, your story is pretty incredible. So <laughs> let's have a little bit of it. Well, you know, it was, uh, I, I found a picture the other day that my sister had sent me. I didn't even know it existed. And it was the night, the evening before my first Albacore trip, my first overnight trip with my dad and my grandfather. I think I was like 10 or 12 years old and we were going to go down to San Diego I couldn't sleep all night. I was so pumped. It was my first overnight trip. I'm fishing with this Mitchell 306 spinning reel. The boat sold out, packed. I mean, there was like 90 people on the boat. I'm in the center of the stern. I get bit. I'm the only guy hooked up. I start puking, and that fish is running full speed, and that spinning reel is spinning this ride full speed, and there's just an arc of puke covering everybody on the stern. <laughs> Uh, as I think we only, we only got three fish that day, and I got one of the three. It was my first albacore, and I puked my guts out. And it was flat calm. Oh, so, my. Do you remember what boat you were on? I want to say the H&M 85. Yeah, that's the picture. Yep. That's, uh, that's the shot the night before my first overnight trip. Oh and I could God. not sleep. Still can't sleep when I get excited about this and trips. That's how I am every day when I'm going to go fishing. I wake up half an hour, 45 minutes before the alarm clock because I'm afraid I might not make the alarm. Yeah. Yep. Crazy um, when you've been fishing for a living as long as we have. We're so lucky. We're so we lucky. We have Count my blessings every single day. Absolutely. So how did you get into this? Okay, so you were into this fishing thing, and then you started to evolve. Then you went to school, right? And that screwed up the whole fishing thing, right? Yeah, I had to go. I had to go to school, and I kind of put a damper on everything. My, 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 I think my fourth grade teacher said that she wrote a report to my my mom, my wife, my mom that said, "I think he's going to grow gills. <laughs> I think this guy's going to grow gills before he gets out of school." So, you know, from, from after that first Albuquerque trip, I was hooked. Got a job on the Westerner, worked half days, you know, as much as I could, pinheading, and then. Uh, and then I'd always had a dream about wanting to run my own boat, you know, after going to San Diego and decking for, for a long time during the summers. And I've always wanted, I always wanted to run a charter boat. So I ended up getting a boat and um, we ran out of uh, Cortez Marina. B -dot. Sorry to interrupt you. San Diego. San Diego. Oh, it was 19. God, I want to say early eighties, early eighties. And, um, I slept, I slept seven nights and seven months in my own bed at home. The rest of the time I was on the boat. So for seven straight months, I was on the boat and um, never, worked, never worked harder in my life and never felt more alive. But it's definitely a young man's sport. <laughs> Pretty amazing, right? Pretty amazing yeah. to think of that. You did that that hard and you still wanted to do it. Yep, still want to do it. Still want to do it. I love right. it. There's, some, there's just something special about running your own boat. When you're running a boat, and if you've got passengers for hire that are, you know, they've looked to you to make sure they have a good trip, the responsibilities are off the charts. I don't know how these guys do it today because the fishing's, other than the bluefin, when we get lucky, it's, it's been a tough scratch. You know, I mean, we were getting albacore at the 14 when I grew up. So, yeah, exactly. different story then. But, you know, running a boat's a, I tip my hat to these guys that are doing it today. They're, they're, uh, 
they are the, the heart and soul of the Southern California fleet are our captains. They do yes. an amazing job with no rest. The way the bite has been, they just 24 yes. hours a day. Yes. No. Silly bluefin will bite at 4 o'clock in the morning one day and 9 o'clock at night the next day and 12 yep. o'clock noon the next day. It's a crazy fishery right now. But, okay, so you started out in the fishing industry. You worked on the Westerner, which was – one of the boats, if you look at some of our old interviews, a guy named Doug Harmon used to be the captain of that thing back in the olden days out of there. And we have an interview with Doug over on our YouTube channel. But um, what got you into this amazing videographer that you are? Because something happened. Because oh, we all met and you went and started filming us. We didn't even think of filming us. The last thing we wanted to do was be on film. We might go to prison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we won't go there. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, uh, I, I, uh, I fished up until I, you know, 14, 15, when I discovered girls, and then all of a sudden fishing kind of took a backseat to the land tuna, and, uh, and then uh, went through high school and, and sort of played football and sports, and then, you know, went to Orange Coast College, and I wasn't sure what I was going to do, and I walked into a class and it was a one unit class on a Friday afternoon. It was audio video, something, and my legs collapsed. And I looked at the screen and I said, this is what I want to do with my life is put pictures up on that screen. So it was like, you know, it was like a lightning bolt hit me and went right through me. And that's all I wanted to do was put pictures on the screen and pretty much been my whole life since. And fortunately, I never forget my first episode. I wanted to shoot a three quarter day trip. So I called Donnie Brockman over it. You've heard the story or I, I called Donnie over at Davies Locker. And I said, Donnie, I'm, I'm trying to put this pilot together to shoot a fishing show. Would it be OK if we come out on your boat and film? And he goes, how many people? And I go, there'll be four of us. And he goes, buy a ticket and do whatever you want. Buy four tickets. <laughs> yeah, buy four tickets and do whatever you want. I don't care. Bring your cameras, your poles, do whatever you want. So that was uh, that was my first first episode on inside sport fishing it was a three-quarter day trip in the spring with donnie and uh they'd been catching a lot of yellow or a lot of bass and barracuda and bonita but they, we were really looking for some yellowtail and donnie put us on some yellowtail down at the isthmus late in the afternoon and we stayed almost until dark and it was just it was the funnest trip first time we ever dumped a uh, camera in the water too and back in the day they didn't have uh, they didn't have gopros or anything we had to have a custom-built housing made for the camera the video camera that we put on a pole and lowered it down and we got a picture of a yellowtail coming up to gaff we about went out of our minds think it was the greatest thing since sliced bread today i look i look at what they're doing today and it's just for you know like uh, dave lastly for example i've never seen any better footage in my life he's shooting marlin in a way that i've never ever seen it shot i just phenomenal footage you get a chance check out his site dave lastly shooting some of the finest footage i've ever seen yeah, it's pretty incredible. He's so lucky that he's involved in that whole bad company situation. Oh that my is God. What a what a plat what a platform that Anthony's given him. What an opportunity to be able to have a platform like that to do what you like to do with the equipment that's available today. It's it's he's raised the bar. And, and his dad's a pretty good fisherman too. Yeah, I would think he's probably about the best on the coast. <laughs> yeah, so him, him and Pete and and uh you know, Jimmy and those guys, they, they, uh, they raised the bar. Oh, for God, for sure. That, and that stuff that they're doing is absolutely incredible. And then something that's 
absolutely unbelievable is their boss is like so into fishing. Like we've never seen a boss this into fishing. We've all had bosses in our lives, but that like to fish, but not like Anthony. Anthony's got this passion. Like you can't even believe what a phenomenal human to work for to get to go see all the stuff they're getting to see this world. Oh, tour. It makes me so jealous. I've never met him. So I, I can't say either way. I don't know. I've never met him. We've never even had a conversation, but uh, they are doing some phenomenal stuff with the war heroes on the water. I mean, I tip right. my hand to the effort that he's putting back into the industry that he loves so much. Oh, he's a definite guy giving back. That's for sure. The stuff that we've been involved in, I've been with him on this war hero since the very beginning. We, I was one of the original guys taking the, the war heroes out fishing and Anthony just gives and gives and gives like nobody. And the, the whole freedom Alliance thing that they're doing, you y'all want to get involved in this war heroes on water. We're looking for, we still need some boat. I mean, I know where this is your interview, but we still need some boats and we still need donations and there's going to be a big event. We'll talk about it in a little bit at the, at the uh, sure. PCS show, the Pacific Coast Sport Fishing Festival at the Orange County Fairgrounds. There's going to be a big event for the War Heroes there. They have a booth at the show. You'll get to talk to Rod and Mike Nars and some of them. Some of the War Heroes will be there and you can talk to them, find out what's really going on so you can get an inside perspective. But uh, Rod's let's go, great. Rod, let's, let's go back a little bit to something that when you and I did our interview a couple of years ago at your house, right behind you is one of the most spectacular tributes to sport fishing that I've ever seen in my life. When I walk around in your, in your garage, which we call your museum, and I'm so bummed my dad never got to see it. Me too. He got to see it on our videos, but he didn't get to go there because he couldn't, he was afraid of your hill. He was afraid of the parking on the slant and the hill and everything. But that museum you put together at your house that you guys can kind of see behind Michael is absolutely incredible as a tribute to sport fishing. But something that, and I don't know if we should even talk about, but you started out with somebody else that does videos for fishing, hasn't taken it. But when you told me who you first started filming fishing, I was blown away. And I love this guy, no matter what anybody thinks of him. I love him. I love what he does. He helps the industry out tremendously. But tell people about that because I think they'll be shocked when they find out. I mean, I think guys my age and stuff don't even know. Well, the very first fishing film I did was called The Tribute to Tuna. And that was, uh, that was with the uh, guys down in San Diego. I had to beg, borrow, and steal footage from these old tuna clipper captains and these saner captains. You know, these guys were like, it was during the dolphin safe era when they were just getting rid of the nets and, and making everything dolphin safe. And the, the, the political landscape at the time was very hostile to the tuna industry. And when I went down there and talked to them about wanting to do a tribute to the guys that fished from the racks, they were hesitant. But they finally sort of took me under their wings and, and got me a bunch of old footage to work with. And we produced a tribute to tuna, which still today is an iconic film. Um, and then from there, I got sucked up into Hollywood and um, the glamour of the uh, of Tinseltown, did a bunch of stuff. I was commuting every day, leaving at five in the morning, coming home at 10 at night. Um, we did a bunch of Gallagher specials, did some stuff with, you know, for Showtime, HBO, Paramount. Uh, and then after about, I don't know how many years I was commuting, probably five or six years. One day I'm driving home, had a little Porsche. 
I'm on the 405, stuck in the traffic Friday afternoon. I'm looking over at a big diesel tractor trailer. I'm wheel high. I'm just axle high to this tractor. And I'm thinking, you know what? This is my life. I mean, the reality is I'm sitting on the freeway, stuck in traffic, breathing fumes. All I want to do is be on the water. So that's when I decided to get out of it, out of Hollywood, bought the boat, ran the charter boat for a few years. And then um, Mike Gill and Dan Hernandez called me out of the blue and said, hey, we're doing this fishing show. Would you like to come up and talk to us? So I went up and met with them in L.A. And they said, yeah, let's let's do some shows together. So I got all my gear and went out and shot Dan Hernandez and Mike Gill for a season. And um, that's that is uh, like I said, this whole interview just puts chills in me because Gallagher, I grew up, we grew up filming it. You were the guy filming it. That's so funny. And it's so cool. And then the Dan Hernandez show, that was the first time we'd ever seen anybody showing sport fishing. And we were just blown away. We're like, Whoa, this is cool. Southern California. My dad told me back in the day, Frank Hale and those guys were doing shows. Fishing flashes. Fishing flashes on Pure Point Landing. Yep. Right. And that was a big deal my dad told me about, but I I wasn't born yet. Yeah, me neither. That was in the 50s. Yeah. Yeah. Then along came Dan Hernandez, and then you saw what Dan was doing, and you just went, Click, 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 and you clicked it up a bunch of notches, right? Yep, yep. I, I, I always believed that you should let the pictures tell the story and that the story that we have to tell here in Southern California and, and across the world, really, in, in terms of fishing, um, you know, you don't need words. Just let the pictures tell the story and let the sport of fishing be the star of the show. So it was never about a personality or me. It was always about, you know, the captains, the guides that we worked with, the owner operators and, and the environment and the fish and, and the sport. So it's always been about the sport of fishing. Yeah. That's what I thought was so unique when you came out with us. I don't even know, probably late eighties or something when we did, or maybe early nineties, early nineties. Yeah. We did that big Calico tournament down yep. in Dana yep. Point. Yep. That was the first <laughs> annual Calico classic. And that yep. was insane. And you're, you were fishing. You were the only guy fishing the Grunion. Yep. You were the yep. only guy fishing the Grunion. All the way back then. Think yep. about that. That's crazy. Yeah. Came out and filmed with us. Unfortunately, I didn't get the big fish of the tournament, so that stuff ended up on the editing floor. Greg Stotesbury and, and Benny Seacrest and Dave Pfeiffer got that tournament. They took that tournament with several big fish that were. I think they had a couple of fish that were over ten. Crazy, crazy times. Yeah. Think about how long ago that was 90s that's, that's a long time ago we, we, were, we, we weren't all we weren't all gray then <laughs> no no and then another, another thing you did for me is gosh this had to be 20 years ago maybe 25 years ago i was down in dana point back when i had my guide service and i took people fishing and the my little claim to fame back then was i was pretty good at catching those thresher sharks and i was Ooh. running quite a few trips and uh, I was at the bait barge and you were there, but you were with a guy named Bill, Bill the priest. Yep. And Bill had no idea who I was and you were on his boat to film the show. And I remember was, with Bill's dad. That's yeah. Bill's dad. That's when, we first, that's when you and Bill met for the first time, isn't it? Yes. Yes. Yep. And, 
And now we're like best buddies in the whole world. And I got his dad, his biggest calico he ever got. But I remember that day we're on the bait barge and uh, we're getting some mackerel. I got the, the guys picking them out of the bait tank. Right. And uh, Bill was just blown away. How, how are you getting them to pick? Well, that's Dave. You're explaining to him. Well, that's. He owns the harbor. <laughs> so, so the best part was he didn't. He didn't think twice about it until we get out there. And all of a sudden, you're bit. And he goes, hey, guys, I'm bit. <laughs> and Bill's and going, we got to get as far away from him as we can. <laughs> yeah. That was a fun trip. <laughs> that was an incredible day. But that's when I got to meet Bill DePriest. And then we became best buddies. And who is Bill DePriest? He's the owner of Pacific Coast Sport Fishing, the magazine, and the big trade show that's coming up here on the 2nd, 3rd, 4th, and 5th of March. Now, You've been a part of Bill for a very, very long time. So let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about Bill and what Bill has done for the industry because you got a better background on that than I do. And let's just talk about Bill for a few minutes. Well, Bill's loved fishing since he was a kid. I mean, there's no question. He's absolutely passionate about the sport. And he devoted a lot of years up there at Pacific Coast Sport Fishing under Drew um, as his editor. And then finally the opportunity came along where he could buy buy the I would buy the publication out and he became the uh, publisher and the, the editor. And um, they had this idea about doing a fishing show up at the fairgrounds for Orange County for, you know, Orange County residents. And it started out as a very small, I think they had one Quonset hunt and I don't know if they had 20 vendors, you know, I, I helped them. We helped them set up the first show. I was able to get Ford to come in and put a couple of trucks and a big screen. And we, we, you know, we really helped. I think we helped introduce the Pacific Coast Sport Fishing Festival at that time. Um, and, and Bill, bless his heart, every single vendor, he treats you like you are his best friend and a valued customer. And it's not like some of the other shows where they go, hey, if you're not happy with your booth, get out. I got 10 other people waiting to get in line. You know, so Bill has treated people with respect and with courtesy and with friendship and honesty brings you coffee in the morning, has a bag of donuts. I mean, come on. So he has built that little show from a, a, a 20 booth Quonset hunt up until he's now got the entire five acres of the Orange County Fairgrounds, all seven buildings, every square foot of space has been sold out and accounted for in, in a wait list. So this show coming up next month, is probably going to be the, I think, one of the biggest shows Southern California has ever seen. Um, and it's all, the cool thing is that it's all about fishing and the travel and the boats and the equipment. You know, there's not a lot of beef jerky and stuff at this show. So it's a, it'll, if you could walk in in a day, I think you'd be, uh, you should pat yourself on the back because it's probably a two-day event. Oh, Absolutely. You know what's really cool, too, about it is I've been a part of this show since the very first show. Yeah, me, out, me and you right there in the front. You had those two trucks. You had that that truss set up and you were right there next to the stage. And then what was absolutely incredible about this show, I've been doing seminars for a very long time. But the show got to be such a big deal because it's all seminar based. And then the, the vendors were just added for something to do in between. Right. And then the man, I'm going to lose it. Sorry. My dad came to the only seminar he's ever come to. 
And he came to it at that show. I think I, was, I think I was standing beside him when you were doing your thing. And I think it's the first time, because I know you guys have some checkered history, obviously. I mean, oh. we all, you know, we grew up in the 60s. How could we not have a checkered history with our parents? You know, <laughs> but I stood, I was standing next to your dad. And I think he actually had a tear in his eye watching you do your thing. Because it was the first time I think he'd ever seen you actually do what you do best. And, and uh, um, I just, I was touched. I was touched, man. I can't believe I just lost it. But uh, true, it's a real feeling that I'm having inside because it was an incredible day at that show. And you know what, Michael? Bill has dedicated the show this year to my dad. And oh, I didn't know that. The magazine's coming out. And there's a huge section in the magazine all about my dad and my sister, my brother, and myself, and where we came from and what we're doing. We did a big interview with the guy that wrote the article. Oh, and nice, so, David. So Bill has dedicated the show to my father. And, you know, you got a whole bunch of history with a lot of the legends in the industry. But when I sat down and did the interview with my pops, and it's on YouTube and you guys can see it. So you'll know who my father was, but he was like the dawn of sport fishing. And he tells a story about his code group at the time. His code group back in the early 50s when he first started running boats, down in San Diego, there was a guy named Bill Poole. In Oceanside, on the barge at Oceanside, there was a guy named Bill Knott. San Clemente Sport Fishing, my father, Don Hansen, up at Newport, it was a guy named Jimmy Schaefer. And then you went all the way up to Whitey Ashley up in San Pete, or uh, I think it was Pier Point or something at the time. And my dad said those guys would all get up in the morning at like 3.30 or 4 o'clock and they would call each other on the pay phone. There was no, there was no sack now, no cell phones, no nothing. And they would call each other on the pay phones in the morning to find out what had happened the day before. That's a pretty amazing code group. Please deposit 35 cents for your first three minutes. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then Don, Don was instrumental. Your dad was instrumental in, in uh, taking Frank Lopresti under his wing. He, your dad told me a story about when, when uh, he was tired one day driving home. And he said, Frank, come on up here. You're driving the boat home. He goes, what? He goes, just don't hit the rocks and avoid the pier. <laughs> and Frank was nine years old. because no. I was I was nine when I started on the Westerner. So I mean, it's just when get, I your went, kids, get your kids involved in fishing. Absolutely. When I went to San Diego and was on Pete's show, Let's Talk Hook Up, and we did the tribute to my father right after we lost him, and Frank made sure that he was there. He told me, he said, "Yeah, your dad is the reason why I do what I do today is because he let me steer the boat when I was nine years old." He let me drive the boat home and he said, just don't hit the rocks and get to the pier. Wake me up. Crazy, crazy. Yeah. And then Bill Poole, he's kind of kind of a big deal in San Diego. He was for a very long time. There's a big statue of him down there. You got to spend a lot of time with Bill, right? I didn't get to spend that much time with Bill. Um, I remember when I first called him, I said, hey, Bill, I'm doing this, I'm doing this TV show. And I'd like to come out and do a long range trip. And he said, you know what, son? Give me a call in five years. If you're still around, I'd be more than happy to have you out. So five years later, I gave him a call and he put me on the XL and we went out and did Big Boat, Big Fish, which is 
got some classic footage that we're putting into the tribute series too. But, but Bill, Bill was, Bill was the, the grandfather of sport fishing as we know it today in Southern California. He was the man that took the converted World War II, you know, troop carriers and, 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 and barges and, and early, early uh, clippers. And he, he transformed the platforms that we fish on from what they were to what they are now. And he and uh, Todd Chafee designed and built, I think 17, 18 boats down in San Diego, American Angler, um, uh, who else? Royal Polaris, Polaris Supreme. I mean, those are all pool boats. And the entire fleet and the entire industry owes Bill Poole a tremendous amount of gratitude. He was a man of integrity and honesty, and his handshake was his word, and it was his bond. I mean, Frank tells a story about meeting Bill and saying, Bill, I, you know, I'd like to buy a boat. Bill goes, well, you got any money? And he goes, no, but I'll work hard. And he goes, all right, let's see how it works out. And then Frank says, a while later, Bill calls me and said, there's a boat available. And this was a deal. And Frank said it was the greatest opportunity he'd ever had in his life. And he shook his hand and, and Bill Poole got Frank into the business. And then, that's you know, Frank was, right there in that picture, guys. That's Frank in the back of the Royal Polaris offloading fish from the fish hole. He was in the hole pulling out these, you know, and at the time they were all frozen like blocks of ice because they didn't have RSW. So it was all just refrigerated, you know, plates and they'd freeze, freeze those fish like an ice block. Today, it's all RSW, so the stuff never freezes, and it just tastes like it's caught that afternoon. Pretty sweet product nowadays. It's a totally oh, yeah. different world. That's, than that's, Bill, that's Bill on his Cape Polaris. Um, and, uh, you know, he started off in 1954, I think. He took the very original uh, Polaris out to Guadalupe Island, and it was the first real long-range trip run out of San Diego, and it sort of set the, set the stage um, that's, that's Bill over here in the corner on the right-hand side, looking at the bait. And, um, I believe that's the Polaris, which was now the searcher, if I'm not mistaken. I think that was the original Dittmar Donaldson. It's now the searcher that Art Taylor's run for so many years. I love that boat, man. It just rides. That boat rides like nothing I've ever ridden on before. And you get down in the hall and it's all creaking and, you know, you can hear the wood working and it's just, you sleep like a baby on that. Yeah, I remember when they launched it up in Newport, and my yep. dad took us up there, and we went up there in his old station wagon and watched them. They closed down the streets and drove. Yep, they closed down the streets and they towed down the streets. In Newport Beach, can you imagine that today? Oh my God, they would oh. go. They would lose their minds. Well, Bill, when Bill built the Royal Polaris, he built it down in Chula Vista in a dirt lot, and there was nothing. I mean, it was just they built it in a dirt lot, and, and they, you know, and when they got to, ready to launch it they had to have the telephone company come and take down all these telephone wires so they could get it through the streets. Oh you know? my goodness. Yeah. But what a different cool. time. So you have so much history with all this sport fishing and your videos and everything else. Well, you have a huge project that's getting ready to get ready to get ready to see the light of day. But what you've made a deal with Bill DePriest and something's gonna happen at the PCS show, right? Yes, sir. I'm. Uh, yeah. Let's I talk about that for a few minutes here, and I get, then uh, I, get, I get chills thinking about it. But we're scheduled for Saturday on the fourth to premiere the first worldwide sneak preview of the sizzle reel from the series, which is going to be a ten-part, ten-hour series. 
So we've got it compressed down a little bit over an hour and it's just going to be a highlight reel, but we're going to premiere that on this giant jumbotron they have. It's 40 feet by 20. And um, the cool part is we've got, we're going to have a couple of side banners made up. We've got these really cute girls from the 1950s, you know, sort of pinup type, you know, just cute, wholesome fishing girls and big, big banners down either side of the screen to kind of frame it. And um, it'll be running as a continuous loop from the time the show starts until it closes on Saturday night. And um, no one's ever seen it before. So I'm pretty excited about uh, unveiling a little bit of this project that I've had in the back of my mind since I can remember. Check this out. Whoa. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. I'm too emotional right now. That even got me. This is amazing. What? How did you get that old? That, the way they slice that old, you, I mean you, but the way you slice that old footage in there, where'd you get that? Well, wow. It's, it's, it started off with an idea. Uh, Tim Malahi from Ford years ago invited me to come to a tuna club dinner. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I'd never set foot in the tuna club. I didn't know any members. I just knew that the tuna club was the tuna club. And they invited me to come to a dinner and I fell in love with these guys. I mean, I thought they were a bunch of elitists, to be honest with you. I always heard the tuna club was, you know, and back in the day it was, I mean, you had to be a wealthy individual, you know, industry leaders across the country, Rockefellers and those kind of people, you know, were members of the tuna club, Zane Gray. Um, you had to be an elite successful individual to fish saltwater back in the day. But the Tuna Club today is just made up of guys that are absolutely passionate about the sport and passionate about preserving its history. And, um, and once I got to be a member, I started doing more research and I, I, I found out that and this is something that sort of sparked the whole film that we're doing right now was that the first Marlin, the first tuna and the first broadbill swordfish ever taken with a rod and reel were caught off Avalon. So in the history of big game fishing, that's that's um, Oshin with, with George Farnsworth caught on a kite, on one of George's kite, uh, big broadbill, 1918, 1913, I think that fish was caught. Um, so I wanted to do a story about big game fishing and the birth of big game fishing, because it was right here in our backyard. And I got to starting to doing some research and lo and behold comes along this lady by, name, by the name of Tammy Hans. And her dad was a photographer back in Miami in the 1930s and 40s. And she called and said, hey, I've got a bunch of pictures that my dad took that I'm finding in these boxes. And I'd be more than happy to help you, you know, if you need some pictures. So anyway, Tammy and I started talking and she has been instrumental in putting this package together in terms of her research and her writing skills. She's an historian by nature and a writer. And um, 
you know, I'm all about fish porn. Just put up good fishing pictures and a good musical track and we'll be fine. And she goes, no, no, we need to tell this story. And so as it turns out, the first fish ever caught over 100 pounds was caught off Florida on bass gear that they used for striped bass. And it was a 100 plus pound tarpon. And uh, it was called in 1980, I believe, or 18, 1880 was the first one, 1886 or something. I can't remember all the numbers. But the first fish over 100 pounds was taken in Florida on a, a big tarpon. Wow. And then, and then, um, some of the guys brought some of those when the Transcontinental Railroad got completed and they were able to cross the country, um, they brought some of those techniques that had been used for striped bass fishing on the East Coast out here to the West Coast and they tried to start fishing Catalina and they just got their, got their rear ends handed to them. Fishing was prolific, they just couldn't land these fish. They had no drags, it was thumb drags, direct drive, you know, fingers were broken all the time. They actually had a doctor on staff at the Tuna Club in the early 1900s to, to, to put fingers back together after guys would go out and get their hands all beat up. Um, Using your fingers as a drag system, right? Oh yeah, and then that it's a direct drive, so the handle would just spin 100 miles an hour in reverse, and boy, they just bust your fingers right apart. So, um, but Southern California is uh, is home is home to some of the greatest big game fishing the world has ever seen. And then also when I was in your studio right there, your little museum, you have a bunch of stuff from Avalon. You got to get involved in the museum there, right? Yep, yep. Um, the museum has been unbelievably supportive of this project from the get-go. In fact, they were really the first organization that stepped up and said, what can we do to help you? And they opened up their vaults. And so together with the Catalina Island Museum, you know, we, we started to kind of form a nucleus. And I've been collecting old films since I was a kid. I mean, since I can remember. And I had a, I had a truckload of, of old 16, 8 millimeter, 35 millimeter movies that were just sitting in the garage deteriorating. And I knew we had to get them digitized. So one of the goals was to digitize all this footage, which we've done, and now it's preserved for life. And um, yeah, yeah, that's some of the raw footage. And um, we didn't know what was on it. And it was just crazy. And eight millimeter, 16, 35. And um, once we got rolling, uh, word started to spread. And we had a call from the IGFA. And they said, hey, we're here. We heard about what you're producing. And Jason, he's the president. And Gail, who's their head of our librarian, they've worked with us hand in hand. And they've opened up their vaults and said, whatever we have in our vaults in our library, you're welcome to use to tell the story. And then Trout Unlimited. Orvis, the American Fly Fishing Museum. Um, it just goes on and on. Every, every organization that's heard about what we're trying to do is contributing footage. So what started out as a, a 75 or 90 minute endless summer meets sport fishing idea, all of a sudden I couldn't tell the story in 90 minutes. I just couldn't do it. So I said, all right, well, let's cut to content. Whatever content we have to tell the story with, that's how long it'll be. And now it's, it's evolved into this 10 hour documentary series that covers every aspect of fishing from the earliest known pictures of the third 300 child dynasty in China of the first picture of a reel um, all the way through the, the migration from the Europeans to the continent and the, and the subtle in the colonies. And it's just, it's, it, it's, this film is so tied into American history and the evolution of America as a, as a nation and how it's, how it's woven itself in the very fabric of our souls. And part of the reason I wanted to produce it is that, you know, 
there's some extremist groups that want to ban fishing. They don't understand the difference between a commercial operation and a guy with a rod and reel. And they kind of lump us all together. They think, you know, a fisherman, sport fisherman is going to do as much damage. You can't hurt a fishery with a rod, a reel, and a piece of string. You can't do it. I don't care how hard you fish and for how long you fish. You cannot hurt a species with a rod, reel, and a piece of string. But you take a 5,000 miles of gill nets or long lines and circle the navig circum circumnavigate the globe with, with lines that never come out of the water. They just put them on the ship and redeploy them and put them on a mothership and process them. I mean, the, the commercial fisheries need to be regulated. And I know that's a controversial subject, but, but the idea behind this film is to promote the joy and the thrill and the excitement and the fulfillment and the family bonds and the memories and the relationships that you have when you've got a rod in your hand. And hopefully educate the general public, people that don't fish, about the difference between a sport fisherman who is a, an extreme environmentalist and an extreme conservatist. I mean, our, if, we don't con if we don't protect our fisheries, we don't have a sport. So fishermen since day one have been protecting the sport with everything they've got. And we go back into history and it's amazing. As early as the turn of the century, the guys at the tuna club, Halder, you know, Frederick Holder was saying, we've got to fish and, 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 and fair practices. Make the sport so it's a fair practice. And, um, and, and all the work that's been done by anglers for generations is, is, is really coming to the forefront in this film. And I think as we, as we wrap the movie up and we, and we finish up the chapters on freshwater bass fishing and then go into conservation and children and the future of the sport, I think we're going to have a pretty well-rounded um, series that, that people in general, not just fishermen, are going to be really, uh, really touched by, I hope. It, it moves me. You know? Oh, yeah. And you've never done anything little, a little tiny bit. You're like me. We're, we're addicts. Whatever we're doing, we're doing it all I'm the way. I'm all in. We're all in. Yep. And this is so exciting for the industry and those of us that have been in it our whole lives, like you just said, it was because one of our parents, our uncle, or our somebody, took, somebody took us fishing. Oh, yeah. yep. Somebody took us fishing. And I remember I talked about it the other day when I was talking to, I did an interview with my father, even though he's been gone for a while, I have some old footage. So we did a little interview and I cut him in there. And I can still remember when I was three years old, going out, to go fishing with them on the sum fun. And my mom yep. put my shoes on. I was three, but it was, was it laser beamed into the back of my head. I'll never forget. the. I didn't know what fishing was, but I knew I was going with my dad. That's what he did for a living. And I remember when he pulled up to the end of the San Clemente Pier. Covered with scales. Oh, it was incredible. It was, and I have it right now. I was talking to one of my uh, members of my website earlier today. Every single fish I catch doesn't matter if it's a calico bass or a marlin. Or it is the most exciting fish I've ever caught and still right now. And tomorrow I leave for another trip to go fish in the mangroves for a week. I'm super excited about fishing. And yesterday I fished all day. I took people fishing and we fished all day. That's all I want to do. That was my dad's first boat he ever built. He built that in Huntington Beach right in front of the power plant there yep. on that big flat area he built that out of battleship steel they got a whole bunch of old steel 
from the Naval Shipyard and they built the Sum Fund right there. And that thing's still running today. It's the same Sum Fund you see at Dana Point Harbor. And Todd, Todd Manser ran that boat for years. And Todd's dad did. Yep. And Todd's son ran it after Todd. I know. Isn't yep. that cool? You talk, about, you talk about family generational stuff. This, this sport allows us to engage in something that we cannot engage in in any other capacity. The way that sport offers that. It's, it's in our DNA. It's our yeah. lizard brain. You know, fishing is, is I mean, man, man has fished since the beginning of time for survival. And as it evolved from a from an act of survival and necessity into a sport, and today what we get to do with it, it's just, I mean, it's it's there's nothing in the world like it. I, honestly, it's it's uh and and today with fishermen, I mean I started CPR, I was promoting CPR back when I started the show, you know, catch photograph and release, and people were laughing at me and they were giving me shit. And and uh I was on a long-range trip, I, I can't remember the boat, but they had a bunch of uh a bunch of uh, birds nesting up on the beam, you know, on the, on the beam of the boat uh, at night. And this guy gets the shotgun out and he goes, I'm going to take care of a few of those birds. And I went, what the fuck? I, excuse me. Excuse me. I didn't mean to say that. Are we done? Oh, Lord have mercy. What are we going to do with you, young man? Yeah. What are we going to do with you? <laughs> yeah. You yeah. told yeah. me. Thought, so We're all good, guys. Carry on. We're all good. Okay. Well, anyway, I, I told the guy, I said, I, I don't see any reason to kill those birds. They're just sitting up there. And he goes, ah, I don't care about what you have to say. So I said, fine, get your gun. I'll get my camera. <laughs> that stopped him dead in that his stopped tracks. Him in his tracks. There so you go. that was my first conservational effort on a long range boat. And I was beat up for it. But, uh, you know, that CPR, catch, photograph, and release. Take what you're going to use. Use what you take and release the rest. And you and I have been on, we've been in sync on that since day one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what everyone thinks of me. That's for sure. That's exactly your highest, ra your highest rated video is how to flay a marlin. Uh, striped marlin. Yeah, striped marlin. But gang, like Michael was saying a little bit ago, I don't know, 10 minutes or so ago, we are under the most unbelievable attack here in California with the MLPs and the the rockfish closures, and now there's this thing coming down that is like a speeding bullet train, the 30-30. This is going to close 30 more percent of the ocean. We're not going to count the MLPs that went into effect 12 years ago. We're going to close 30 more percent of the ocean. But here's where it gets really scary. They're going to get you guys, you freshwater guys that are watching this. They're coming after you. They're coming after Mammoth Lakes. They're coming after the trout streams. They're coming after anybody that has a suntan. If they find out you got a suntan, boy, they're going to make sure. I mean, they really don't like me because I'm super tan. They don't like you either because you're tan. But they're coming after us for some strange reason. This big passion of fishing and taking children fishing and everything else. This 30 by 30 thing, you guys have to watch this. And you have to get involved. And you have to get into CCA. And yep. call Wayne and get in. Just, I was just going to say the coastal, you know, the Coastal Conservative Association, California CCA. If you want to make a difference, join them. Put a dollar in. Put five dollars in. Put up whenever you can afford. But contribute to that group because they are the they are they are the centuries that are standing guard against our sport right now against extreme environmentalist groups that have actually told Frank and the other guys in the in the in the SAC uh, Sport Fishing Association. 
that their goal is to abolish fishing in America over the next 10 years. Isn't that incredible? Why? I can't call And that's because they don't understand the difference between a sport fisherman and a commercial harvest. And so what you said half an hour ago, they don't understand. We, and I talk about this on my show every day. We cannot adversely affect the population of fish in the ocean or with a fishing pole. With a rod, reel, and a piece of string. You can't do it. You just can't. No matter how good of a fisherman you think you are. Because I keep going back to the same spots and there's still fish there. And I've been fishing those spots since I was a little kid and I'm 61 years old. And those a couple of those boiler rocks running the edge of the MLP zone in Laguna. Oh, check this out. This is uh, Ingrid Poole has been phenomenally supportive of this project. And um, these are uh, pictures from Bill Poole's original log. And uh, no GPS, no Lorenz. I mean, this is how they fished back in the day. You know, approximately 240 degrees, X amount of rocks. You line up two waypoints and you try to line up your, your spots that way. So those guys fished with, with instinct and guts and determination. No side scanning sonars. I wouldn't know what to do out there today without a side scanner. <laughs> and your gyro stabilizing binoculars. Yeah, exactly. And those guys were going there with a compass and a piece of paper and a chart. Yep. Yeah. Those- those log, those log books were golden. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. we also, on that interview I did with my pops the other day, he was talking about when he took the Clemente to the Cortez Bank in 1964 when it was brand, or 65 when it was brand new with the old DECA radar and a compass. And that's all the electronics he had. And he'd go 102 miles from the San Clemente Pier. Dead reckoning. <laughs> no idea. They were going to make it. It's crazy. Yeah, we've gone, we're doing 10 knots, so we've gone 11 miles. Okay, that's where we're on this dot on the map. Another 10, another hour, we'd go another 10 miles. You and know? when he started to see the bank coming up on the pedometer on the paper graph, and then no, it was starting was... to come up, he was like, we made it. Oh, I know. My, my, my first trip to Guadalupe was to do a rescue for one of the boats that had, uh, one of their internal fuel tanks, one of the sport boats, and their internal fuel tanks had uh, they were built into the hull and they'd had pinhole leaks and they were contaminated with salt water. And that was their return fuel. And they were stuck at Guadalupe, a long range boat stuck in Guadalupe. And so I took my little 46 foot Hawthorne and put a bunch of bladders and up on the bow and in the stern and filled it up with fuel and drove out there with nothing, no autopilot, no Lowrance. All we had was radar and it was like a 12 mile range. So I was like, okay, it's 2,240 miles. We, you know, we should see some kind of island, you know, at, you know, 20 hours off or 22 hours off. And I'm just praying, I'm praying the whole time that we can start to see some mountain that we are in the right directions. So I know exactly what your dad felt like when he goes, oh my God, there's the bottom. We found the bank and I went, there's the island. We found Guadalupe. Um, what a weird time to grow up though. How exciting. Like my dad said, it was just the most exciting times in his life. And every day was just a different, massive adventure. And like, every day, every day, even today, Dave, it's a massive adventure on the water. I don't care if you're down there at Irvine Lake, you know, or what is left of it, or, you know, at Lake Mission Bay or freshwater fishing or whatever. Every day you're around the water, it's touching your soul. Oh yeah, definitely. Absolutely. It's- it is the most incredible thing you can do if you can get your children 
are your friend's children or, you know, maybe your friend doesn't want to take the kids. If you're, you got this passion and you can turn it on to these younger people, it is one of the most important things you can do in your life, right? Absolutely. And because I think that's what your new movie is going to show people. Of, you just, it's, it's a gift that you, that gives for the rest of your life. I mean, I'm a perfect okay. example of it. You're a perfect example. My, my parents and grandparents taught me, took me out fishing when I was four years old. And I'll never forget it. I remember my dad got a got hooked up on a on a bass rod, and I swore to I said, Dad, you're stuck on the bottom, Dad. You're stuck on the bottom. Nothing could make a rod bend like that. And he goes, Oh, I just got a fish. And I went, my jaw was hanging down, and he pulls up this big old bass, and I'm thinking, Oh my God, this is amazing. So impressions with children are, are you know, good impressions fishing wise, embed them in there and they'll last a lifetime. And like we said on the interview I did with you, the number one thing for me is feeling a bite. There is nothing. That's that's the essence of the sport. That's oh, my goodness. The bite is everything else up to that and after that is irrelevant. What it took to get there and then what you do afterwards, I don't care, but it's that bite, that moment. Oh, yeah. It doesn't wow. matter if it's, in the, you know, if it's on a Wahoo jig or a, a live bait or – plastic swim bait, whatever you're doing, anything you're presenting to fish and it eats it, you're stoked. So we've almost been doing this for an hour. I know it's hard to believe, but what I want to end this with, I mean, your show, your movie, everyone's going to get to come to the PCS show and see the sizzle reel. That's going to be a little more than what they just saw. We, we had a nice sneak peek and I appreciate that. Thank you very much for that. But one of the most amazing catches and Elliot flashed it up on the screen a couple times and we're going to end with this story of your pursuit and your fish, the broadbill swordfish. One of the most incredible, just, we're going to finish this up with this because you told me you'd give me an hour and we're at, we got nine more minutes. So give okay. me that story. Well, you know, swordfish are without doubt the most spiritual fish on the ocean. I mean, they are the gladiators of the sea. They're the most powerful mysterious, mystic fish I've ever experienced in my life. Every fish has a personality, yellowtail versus a bluefin tune. I mean, they all have personalities. They all fight and behave in different ways. Swordfish are just, have always been the pinnacle quest for me. It's like, you know, two fins are better than one. So when you see those two fins up there, as opposed to just the tail fin of a marlin, when you see that dorsal and the tail fin falling, it, your adrenaline just goes nuts. So over the years, I presented baits to 43 finning swordfish and never got a hit, never got a bite, never even got a knockdown. So this deep drop stuff came along and my good friend, Tom Rogers put the package together and he said, all right, here, we're going to go catch a swordfish. The first time we went out and did it all week, we, we got bit within the first 10 minutes and I went ballistic. I went, we're bit, we're bit. And it came loose. And I came up with this sucker that was this big off of one giant squid. I mean, just that's all we ended up with was one sucker. And it was, it had to have been a 20 foot squid. And um, so, and then we dropped down again, another, we had another squid bite and I said, oh, this sucks. So we quit doing it. We waited like five years and kind of re, re, regrouped. And Tom came up with some phenomenal ideas. And, and we decided to go out and try to deep drop. Didn't have a clue what we were doing. And after a couple of days of running around and chasing numbers and listening to the web, you know, guys talk about X, Y, and Z on the, online, um, I said, hey, I, Pelakia had caught a big 540-pound dressed fish at the end of the season the year before, 
off the flats in Huntington Beach. And there, she was full of sand dabs. I mean, that's all this fish had was all these little sand dabs. And I said, the best fishing that I know of for sand dabs is right off, right off Avalon, you know, right off the dump, you know, between the Pebbly Beach and, and, and Tom looks at me, he goes, are you nuts? And I go, no, let's try it. He goes, oh, you, you know, we're wasting our time. And I said, let's just give it a try. He goes, okay, we're wasting our time. So we dropped down right there, three miles off Pebbly Beach. We're bit, we're bit. And sure enough, we got bit. And, and then, you know, we, we big, big, big fish. Didn't have a clue what we were doing. Made every mistake in the book. Had it to color. I mean, it was right alongside of the boat twice. Probably over three, 400 pounds easy. And um, it, it, we just completely tanked it. I mean, we blew every, We made every mistake you could make trying to catch a sortie. So we dropped down again. Tom's turn. He gets his. And then the next day we go back out and I get mine. So we got two fish, hooked up three, got two, and back-to-back trips. And we were less than three miles off Pebbly Beach. But didn't and you put your fish on tuna club tackle? I got, I got my tuna. I got my fish on um, yeah, this is a, regulation Dacron. Yeah, yeah this is, that's an incredible part of the story. Anybody yeah. can get them on braid. No, it was on Dacron. Yeah. Right. It was it was modern gear, but a, a Dacron line. And now my goal, we went out and tried to do it on vintage tackle. <laughs> I, I don't know if we're going to try that anymore. You know, vintage tackle is just insane. To, to try to... The guys that were doing it, like Farnsworth and Holder and those guys, they were do. There wasn't any other option, and they no, were doing. Exactly. It. They, were, they were fishing with state of the art stuff. You know, nice but, beef, uh, bamboo and yeah, bam, bamboo rods and. And no drag system. I mean, Boshin started out with the star drag. You know, I mean, he helped develop that there in in uh, in Avalon with Far Farnsworth. Cox right. built the wheels. Yeah. So then it, when you go to the tuna club there in Catalina and you stand in front of it, you look at that bluefin with the flying fish, that brass bluefin, the flying fish. Then you read the plaque and you find out that these guys that started fishing with kites. 2015, 2014 in Southern California for bluefin and think they're all that. You go, wait a minute. These were doing this in the 1800s. They were doing it 100 years ago. 120 yeah. years ago, they were fishing with kites. Farnsworth's kite, he kept a secret for years. He wouldn't tell anybody what he was doing. And he wouldn't deploy the kite if he was around other boats. And he, he would make his passengers, he was a boatman, so he'd make his passengers swear to secrecy. And after about three years, he finally... Flew the kite through Avalon uh, on like Fourth of July or something to let everybody know that that's how he was catching these fish was with the kite. What uh, an incredible, incredible interview! I want to thank you so much. This has been so, I, we, you and me could go on and on and on for the rest of the day. Yep. You have stuff to do. I have stuff to do. Elliot has stuff to do. Elliot, thank you for making this what it is. We could, me and Michael, you know us. We're a couple old men. We couldn't do this without Elliot. Elliot, you made this super special. Thank you. That's technically challenged as they come. <laughs> Elliot, so, thank you very much. And David, thank, thank you so much for having us on board. And, and everyone, thanks for tuning in. Look forward to seeing you at the show um, on the 4th up there at, uh, at the fairgrounds. And I uh, hope you enjoy the, uh, I hope you enjoy the sneak preview. And I would tell everybody, make sure you get your tickets now. Can you imagine how they get, they find out what you're doing, what Anthony's doing. I think the show is going to be, I think he's going to be sold out before it opens. 
Absolutely. There's just so many people. It's all that the fire marshal will let in there, gang. So you better get your tickets. I would hate, I would hate to be there on Saturday morning standing in line to buy tickets. Could you imagine what that line will look like? Holy yeah. moly. Get them online now. Right. Yeah, jump online. We'll it, flash it, it up there one more time. Get your tickets now because it's it's going to be unbelievable the amount of people at this show. It's going to be I think he's got Michael Phillips. Thank you so much, guys. You can see Michael. Tell him where you can see your stuff right now. It's it's all your shows are playing where. Oh, everything from Inside Sport Fishing is currently streaming streaming on Amazon Prime. I couldn't find that in your Apple Music Library. You can ask me to play a radio station. Carry on, Michael. Oh, sorry. Yeah, um, everything's on the uh, all the Inside Sport Fishing series shows are on Amazon Prime, and then the new uh, the new series, the new a tribute to the history of sport fishing. We'll premiere that on Saturday the fourth up there at uh, the festival at Bill's Pacific Coast Festival, and then hopefully this thing will be ready for air. Probably I'm thinking the fall of 2023. We've got three yeah. chapters, we've got three more chapters to do. We got bass fishing, we got Johnny Morris, Bill Dance, BASS, all you know, Big Fish Dreams. All these guys are helping us out on the bass sections. Uh, Dr. Terry, but uh, oh, hang on, I knew I wouldn't blow this one, but Terry Batesti is probably the most renowned bass historian in the world, and uh, he's He's working with Tammy on writing the scripts for the bass. And then we get into conservation, hopefully with them. Bill Shedd, Frank Yosetti from H&M. We're going we're gonna to get some good interviews with these guys about what affects us locally. But that CCA is the key to the future of our sport fishermen. I think if, if you don't take away anything else from this, this interview, just think CCA. They're, gonna, they're the guardians of our sport. Do what you can to help them. Yeah. Thank you very much, Michael. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. It was an incredible show. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Thank you, David. Thanks for everybody tuning in. We will see you Monday. Live. Right. Adios, everybody.